images of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hello friends, welcome to Sex and Space. Here exploring sex across all of its infinite dimensions. Really excited to share an awesome interview I did with uh, Joe Robertson today. Uh, she's a sex therapist, she's a betrayal trauma specialist, and she's a parent consultant. Um, Specialising in teaching your kids about sex and porn exposure and stuff like that. Um, really, really interesting, and I learned absolutely heaps so that's coming up. Just a little bit of a business before we uh, drop into that. Our new book, The Organ Education Forgot, a little book about the clitoris. It is available to buy. Please go and check it out and support us. It is available from sexandspace.com forward slash book. There is um, also some content that's been released uh, for International Women's Day. We launched it officially on Facebook, um, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, that's really, really cool little video of people's reactions to that. So, um, yeah, go check that out as well. Give us a like or uh, whatever the equivalent um, on your social platform of choice. Um, and, yeah, watch this space. There's going to be some more... Uh, book talk uh, with some of our guests coming up. Yeah, check out check out all that. Check out our socials. That's sexandspace.com, all one word, sexandspace, D-O-T-C-O-M, on uh, all of the all of the channels. It's all they're all linked to one another these days, so I'm sure you'll be able to find it no problem. Um, and the book is yeah, like I said, it's available on um, Amazon in in all hopefully all um, the um, regions of the world where one would desire such a thing. So, um, yeah, it'd be really, really good if you could check that out and support us. Right, Joe Robertson, sex therapist. Um, this was an amazing chat for me, to be honest. I'm um, pretty ignorant in her field of work, and she did a fantastic job of explaining it to me and the, the from the basics up and um, also the parent consultant work that, that she does is um, really, 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 really interesting uh, to me as a parent, but um, also, you know, as a sort of social commentary as well. Um, the betrayal trauma stuff that she does, I think we just have to get her on for another podcast uh, to really do a deep dive in that one. But um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll stop waffling on and jump straight into it. Uh, hope you enjoy this one. And um, yeah, here's Joe Robertson. Hello, Joe Robertson, sex therapist. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for coming and talking to us on Sex and Space. Um, you are a sex therapist, a uh, betrayal trauma specialist. Is that right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And also do um, parent consulting as well. Um, yes. Super, super interesting and lots to cover off. Um, I think from my perspective and probably a lot of people who have never been to a sex therapist maybe more people should and everybody but um what what do 
you do what is the sex therapist and it's like uh broadest possible um yeah i guess yeah so basically most people who practice as a sex therapist will be taught to work with couples or individuals at any stage of life around what they're struggling with in their intimacy or fears they have around intimacy so sometimes people see sex therapists and they're not actually having sex yet or any type of intimacy and we are trained to see it from what we call a biopsychosocial model so what's going on in the body what's going on in the brain like what are their thoughts beliefs ideas about sex and then what's going on in the relationship and all the world around them so not just that person in their silo but you know what were the messages they got from family what's the media they consume what religion did they grow up in how does all of that shape what they're doing now and what they're going to do in the future and then i guess unpacking that with them yeah. and seeing if that's what they want it to look like and here are some strategies then to shift things up a bit that's really interesting so like um I guess for me, uh, I was wondering if there's, or do you, do you find that there's a line in the sand that people have to get to, or an acknowledgement that they need need your help in in some way? You know, those sort of trigger points or lines in the sand um, that make people kind of, yeah, that make people seek out seek you out. Yeah. I would say the two biggest factors that that tend to put people over the edge in terms of reaching out is one, like a prolonged time of not having pleasure from intimacy. And the second one is a prolonged period of dissatisfaction or unhappiness. So some people don't have a lot of pleasure, but they still have a lot of personal satisfaction from the intimacy. Other people get a lot of pleasure, but they still don't find it personally satisfying. So those two don't always have to go together. So usually there has to be a period of time where they themselves or their partner or them together are going, mm, I'm not into it. <laughs> and then they want to do something about that. Obviously, if you're in a committed relationship, you're more likely to want to do something about it mm. because you're thinking, I'm going to spend a lot more time with this person and I'd like for it to be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people are coming to you as a, yeah, they've, they've, hit, a, they've hit a wall potentially or... Well, they, they potentially hit one like 20 years ago. It's just that they have finally come to the place of going, all right, I don't want to be in the same place in another 20 years' time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And other, um, are there any, like, I guess more, I mean, I did watch your, I watched your TED Talk. That was from 2019, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So you been doing this for like 12 13 years now yeah so i've been yeah 12 years yeah so in in that time have you because obviously it feels like everything's changing quite fast culturally and and stuff like that have you noticed um different themes or triggers that that people are coming to you coming to you with like in in that time like i don't know um consumption of pornography or, or you know any, any of these kind of more modern uh yeah. things that are that are kind of yeah influencing influencing the reasons why people might might come to you yeah i think you know you've really um 
brought up an important piece there. You know, we know porn consumption has gone up significantly around the world yeah. um, and it continues to do so, and particularly with young people, but that's happening across all genders, et cetera, that, that consumption is increasing. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, education hasn't quite risen at the same level, so it is getting better. And, you know, there's platforms like what your group are creating which mm -hmm. show that there's more and more conversations that are being sparked around education really good robust quality education um but it hasn't risen at the same rate as porn has and right. so you've got a lot of people who've got a lot of ideas about what they think sex should be like with no idea how actually that would work out in practice mm. or not even knowing still about much about their own anatomy but hey this is the visual that i've got that my sex life is supposed to compare to so potentially dissatisfaction has increased yeah so a feeling of my sex life isn't quite living up to the standards of what i think it should be but when i talk to people sometimes you know part of my job is just to really go this is totally normal mm. like what you're actually doing and feeling and what's like in practice happening in your relationship is super duper normal now does that mean that you don't want to improve no like we can still do things to make everyone's sex lives a little bit better but like we don't live in a movie yes. <laughs> and we don't live on a porn set, a porn set and that wouldn't be great anyway but um people don't have a lot of tolerance i think for um real life impacting their sex life so there's this idea that it should just be great all the time yeah 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 i think it's it's other, very refreshing to hear you know that some of these things that people are sort of dealing with are, are probably fairly common Would so you common yeah yeah so common and that's that's a really big piece is just saying to people you know you're not broken because mm. people walk around yeah thinking i'm the only one and that means that i'm defective and it's the first time they may have shared and said, this is how my body feels during sex. or this is, I don't like it, or I don't want it, or I hate this, or whatever it is. And does that mean something is wrong with me? And, you know, I just wish I could almost count the amount of people who've said that in one week. <laughs> I mean, I could do that one day. <laughs> and then I could say, you know, seven other people this week have said that to me. Like, you are not the only person. You are not defective. You're not broken. Yeah. I think it's refreshing, like, um, you know, as a as a parent as well myself like um you know time time poor um yes. you know focusing suddenly on these uh you know other two very important on important little people you know um you know think things like that i mean you can sort of see how um those plus you know all of the other stuff that sort of culture throws at you changing sexual preferences through porn or or body um imagery all that kind of stuff could all sort of add up to you know and, and you know social media consumption you know what used to be intimate time is now instagram time you know <laughs> all, all that stuff um yeah I, I it feels um like i mean it could be it could paint you could paint quite a depressing picture but it's great that that you're out there and people are sort of you know seeking help as well um yeah as and when they need it the um so, so some of the the sort of 
tools, I guess. I mean, I don't want to, you know, you'd have to give give up the game, so to speak, or, or what you do. <laughs> the Some of the tools that people could ex- sort of expect to come away from, I mean, is it is it all, I mean, I feel like communication, generally better communication across all aspects of life is a, a good thing. But um, the sort of tools that you'd equip people with, really, that, that will come to you is give us an insight into what they may be. <laughs> yeah, I'd say a lot of the time what we're doing is helping people get comfortable in their own bodies. Yeah. Helping people get comfortable talking about sex. And then also rebuilding desire. So typically people are coming to a sex therapist because there's something missing. Yep. You know, there's something that they feel they're lacking. And the most common one would be a mismatched feeling, like desire. So my partner wants sex more than me or I want sex more than them or whatever it is. And so we're building desire for the person who feels like they don't have enough of it. Now, sometimes that um sometimes uh that's what people come and uh, to, to see me about and they're like i need to get more desire i need a higher libido and it's actually like you know maybe your partner needs to chill out a little bit mm, yeah. <laughs> you know maybe it's the partner that we need to we need to talk about some realistic uh expectations so yeah. that's communication but and like i mentioned before so that's talking about sex getting comfortable with your body getting comfortable with your partner and conversing about it etc getting some language but then on the flip side of that for the person who's got low libido how we actually going to how are we going to build this mm. how are we going to create a sex life for you that you actually want because when somebody says to me you know i don't have much desire for sex i'm like well it's probably because the sex is pretty average like your body doesn't want something that's not that good. Mm. And that's not the that's not anyone's fault. Often that's just through pure lack of education. Like, I don't really know what I like. I don't really know what they like. Mm. Um, I don't know what to try next. I don't know how we would make this a little bit more interesting. You know, we've been together for 20 years. What, what's, what's the next steps? Yeah. So we're doing a lot of strategies to build that desire back up, do some education in the process around what the body needs, what relationships need to keep stuff interesting, keep you keep you curious about each other. Yeah. Um, so there's no there's no formula, there's no like one size fits all. I would say the most typical tool that I would use would be to actually encourage um, couples to start from scratch. So to pull back on intercourse entirely okay. and start to rebuild sexual play. Right. So intercourse has this way of kind of getting in the way. <laughs> it's kind of like it becomes what I mean. It's like what people think sex is. Yeah, yeah. So as long as we've achieved intercourse, that then we've been intimate, and you know that can be over in like two point five minutes. Like yeah. it's not high levels of intimacy happening there often, <laughs> and so when we take it away. People have to get a little bit more creative. They have to play a little bit. They have to be a bit more intentional. They tend to spend more time with each other. And it tends to be a lot better. So it doesn't mean it's off the off the table forever, but for a time it's a really effective strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. I'm pleased I'm recording this. Um (laughs) send me the bill. Um (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really interesting. The um 
the other thing I think that I just picked up on was what you said before was it is it's uh people people don't understand themselves uh like their own bodies and their own desires and haven't done that work kind of you know especially you you might assume it's a low I have a low libido you know for x reasons or or whatever um you know could be age related or, or whatever but um the it's interesting that yeah actually you know to to deep to delve into that and to do this sort of starting from scratch you know you might find that that really you just set off on this one little path whenever you started your sexual journey and that's the one you stuck on and actually to go right back to um you know back to the beginning could lead to some amazing places that you would never have considered um yeah absolutely because it removes the foregone conclusion yeah and if we take away the conclusion that sex has always come to in your history then what we get yeah is much more creativity yeah that's really interesting because um and an amazing almost opportunity really that Mm -hmm. a lot of people probably don't don't put on the table that you know it doesn't have to be um like i don't know i guess people form habits or or whatever but to um yeah get get creative and explore that's that's really interesting um and i guess the sort of like a there is there's no um is there like a right amount or of sex therapy i guess you just keep going until you feel like (laughs) you've got got somewhere yeah 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 so we'd usually do about i'm gonna say the norm would be about five to six sessions yeah um, and that's because we want to get a really robust history, so to really assess mm. what's going on, and then try a few things and debrief along the way how that's going for you. Yeah. And every time I meet with somebody, you know, whether it's the third or the fourth time, I'll say, okay, so tell me about your last few uh, intimate encounters and what were those like? And they'll explain them usually quite briefly, and I'll say, okay, let's unpack it a little bit more. Like, what were you feeling? How, what was happening inside your body? What were you thinking about? How did you talk to each other afterwards? Like, it's the, let's really pull the pieces apart to make sure that it's a really rich experience for you going forward. So often, you know, for example, people might go, you know, I loved everything that happened during the intimacy, during the sex. And then afterwards, I feel like there's this disconnect between us. Okay, let's go there. So it's just, we we give the the sessions, um, you know, we just want to kind of let every bit of your intimate life breathe mm. and let's shed some light on all of it so that we can make sure it's functioning really well. Yeah, yeah. And it's very interesting because it's, you know, again, just then listening to talk, it's stuff that you probably don't consider to, to think about the stuff that you really don't consider very often, you know, or ever, yeah. you know, like, yeah. how are you right after you finish finished being intimate, you know, like, what yeah what do you say to your partner what do you, say, what do, you do what are your habits you yeah. know um yeah do you how do you initiate you check your heart rate on your on your watch <laughs> what awful 
you know, mood ruining right. things that you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that, well, like a, a classic mood ruiner is that this was like a gender trend. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like it's a it's a it's more likely to happen with a guy than it is with a woman. But that's not to say that that's always the rule. But they tend to guys tend to um, try and initiate sex through quite. Um, they try to be very clear. <laughs> but sometimes uh too brutish yeah like too crass about it yeah. so they tend to think it's quite sexual and arousing to come up behind their person and like grab their bum or like do a boob grab or say like do you want to come in the shower and i'll do this to you they it's like quite a aggressive not in a not in like they're trying to hurt that person but aggressive sexuality like I'm going to tell you directly what I want to happen or I'm going to touch you directly the way I want to do it. Yeah. And women don't typically respond super well to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they tend to um, find it a little bit ab- abrasive and yeah. uh, like they're being, sometimes a little bit like they're being used to satisfy their sexual desires as opposed to it being about them as a person that yeah. their partner wants to be intimate with. So that's one of those like they're kind of really micro mini moments in relationships, but they really matter because yeah, yeah. they determine how the sexual encounter flows from there. And so some sometimes it's like the sex can be so much better just from let's make a few adjustments in how you initiate. Mm. And you'll find that she turns around and is much more likely to go, yeah, let's. But we don't often in relationships like really talk about that stuff and it's scary. It's hard to go there. We might feel rejected at the end of that conversation. But when we do, things get a lot better. Yeah. Well, I mean, being rejected in a in a conversation, in a, you know, safe space therapy session is probably nicer than being rejected at the time. Uh, you know, or something <laughs> yeah. like that as well. Like, so yeah, I think that's that's interesting. And of course, if you're in a therapy session, then you you know, you should be there for the for the learnings that you're going to get out of it as well. That's yeah, really it's still hard. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure it is. So yeah, hear the home truths. Yes. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> um. So interesting. Now, I don't want to um jump over the betrayal uh trauma side of what you do i think that's super interesting um but it might be an uh, uh an entire podcast episode in itself um and <laughs> as the host of this podcast and as a parent um i really really want to jump into the um parental consultancy work that you do yeah. um, which also you know i know having watched your ted talk on talking to kids about porn um is is part of of that broader conversation but um on your website you mentioned that it's um from three years old to to 18 years old um and so yeah i think for me i'm I just like oh this sounds so interesting because there's a desire as parents to you know to yeah keep your kids keep your kids safe um so i thought interesting dynamic 
<laughs> between like um sex therapy for oneself you know where you could like you said put it off for 20 years um or mm-hmm. um you know do kind of be like oh yeah you know maybe my porn habits uh you know progressing in an awful direction or um whatever it might be i'll deal with that one day but as soon as you say you know let's look out for your kids safety um and i say safety general general well-being um and and mm-hmm. things that is just like yep 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 where do i sign super interested um and i think a lot of parents would you know feel the same way probably because we're all confused as hell anyway <laughs> with how to navigate most things because kids don't come with a with a handbook and you know most of us are sexually um not illiterate but like <laughs> pretty, challenged. Pretty, pretty challenged in in our own way as well <laughs> talk about it you know have probably historically had awkward conversations with our own parents or have like crashed into and made loads of mistakes um through our own lives so I think everyone's like, yes, please. You know, this is really. Do you do you find that? By the way, do you find that people are really keen on this? This parent, yes. like, yeah, yes, sorry, yeah, sorry. massive, massive ramble there. Tell me That's about. Right. Tell me about your parent consulting work. Yeah, well, it started about. Um, I'm going to say like five years ago. So when I was doing my masters, I decided to do my biggest piece of research on the global consumption rates of porn amongst adolescents and how it was impacting them. And so dived into that, didn't really think too much about what we were kind of going to do with that information, apart from that I just found it really interesting. But then it really broadened out into how is technology impacting them? How is the media they consume, not just porn, but also, you know, the TV shows, often all its PJ masks, you know, like all the, the little kid stuff. How is that shaping them as well? Um, mostly in good ways, by the way. But <laughs> but I became interested as my kids grew up around all the other media that they were consuming and how that might be shaping them. And then I also, um, I was drawing on, I'd worked with kids from ages five and up. And uh, kids' trauma, so they've been sexually abused or physically abused, usually by someone in the home. And I've been working with kids for many, many years uh, as a counsellor. And I was thinking, okay, so we've got this media stuff over here, and then we've got kids having real traumatic experiences over here. And um, you know, what do parents do about this? Mm-hmm. Like, what do they do when they find out that their kid has watched this, but then tried that out with their neighbour? And who do you call? Because often they're not, often kids aren't, you know, sexually harming anyone. They're trying stuff out. So you can't get access to a service for sexual harm. But as a result, you've got no one to go to. <laughs> and you, so you just got endless reading that you can do online. There is a lot. But I thought, you know, let's just, uh, I just want to be able to have these chats with parents, give them some support, give them some tips. It often doesn't take heaps and heaps of information to be able to help a kid through a tricky time. It's like, let's just, these three questions are going to be the most helpful for you and ask them every week. And um, yeah, so I started reviewing children's books around consent, reproduction, intercourse, puberty, um, and digital and technology. And then I developed resources for parents, particularly around porn, 
um, I started doing talks and working with parents themselves. So it just kind of grew. It was never like a very intentional thing, awesome. but it's a bit of my work that I really love. Like, my, mm. you know, it's one of my favorite bits of work. Yeah, I think it sounds really interesting. So it's essentially, it's, it's, it's for parents. It's not, a, it's not a session with the kids and the parents per se. It's, it's, it's no. like tools um for and skills for for parents to navigate those those awkward conversations i suppose from as early as they start happening even because i mean yeah they they happen pretty early <laughs> um, yeah and yeah. so it's you know you, it, there's a obviously as you would know there's a big difference between uh, how you answer a four-year-old question how you answer an eight-year-old's question and mm. um, what has happened, I think, historically is that all questions get shut down and until they feel it's age appropriate to start the conversation. And that tends to happen, has historically happened once, if yeah. at all, but once and at about, you know, 13 years old or something. Puberty talk usually happens about 10. And that's, that's it. That's it. That's like, that's the end <laughs> of those parenting chats. But these questions start emerging from our kids really around three mm. and especially if they've got siblings with different genitals etc you know the questions are are evolving from that age and so how can we do parenting that's not a chat but many 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 chats mm. so they don't actually even remember i remember this one time mum talking to me about consent it's like it just becomes a part of their the fabric of their being that they know what consent is because they've had so many micro conversations about it um that it's just become part of their value system so yeah i think it's how do we introduce it at all the ages and then how do we also deal with stuff when it goes wrong yeah uh so it's really interesting i mean anecdotally i went to a um a talk at my daughter's kindergarten um way way back um and they would they were just talking a, li a little talk about they had a specialist come in and they were talking about um, just how, even though it's very tempting to not use the appropriate names for genitals. Um, to, to not use the appropriate name? No, that the, the, it's tempting to not use them. Oh, I see. To make see. people feel a bit, you know, squeamish yeah. or kind of want to be cute or whatever it is. But they um, they were outlining some of the issues that that can kind of cause sort of further down the line. Yeah. You know, and just yeah setting off on the right foot with just understanding understanding your body and that sort of thing um and i thought i thought it was quite interesting i you know it when i unpacked how um you know even at that early age if if someone's calling like a little girl might be calling their vulva something else like a pikachu or something like that um <laughs> it it can you know lead to um in this one again anecdotal incidents that they they shared was that she said she had a sore pikachu she was telling her teachers that she had a sore pikachu oh. and they thought she was talking about her cuddly toy toy yeah, yeah. As, as you would and so two weeks went by and then you know it transpired that um yeah she was being abused or something like that so you know it was very much like unpacking that just from that early age but i mean it sounds also like a great opportunity for parents to learn as, as well um 
with your children? Is that something that you kind of yep. encourage? Because, you know, I've got a seven-year-old daughter and, yeah, you know, we've we've uh, seeked out the Googleable facts about various questions she had and that's that's quite an interesting, you know, yeah. process to go on as well yourself. But um, the... Um, Keeping, I guess, yeah, keeping those conversations happening all the time um, is is obviously where where does it get? This is just one that I find might be missing out from the kind of Googleable side of stuff. If yeah. you're going on these journeys with your children, um, how and if do you sort of address? pleasure in these mm -hmm. concepts like is that is that something that you have a a, a sort of framework for yeah well, i think we just normalize pleasure from genitals from a very early age yeah. you know it's not a big deal to if you see your child rubbing their genitals for you to say um how does that feel and if they say i don't know you say is it feeling nice and they go um yeah <laughs> you go okay that's totally fine like there's no big chat to have there. They know it feels nice. You know it feels nice. You can normalize it for them. Mm. So you can say, like, for example, if your kids are big on wearing no clothes and boys are really commonly do this and they rub their own penises and give themselves erections, then they go flaccid, then they rub them again. <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. this is a fun time. And, and it's not sexual. It's truly just like curiosity, exploration, and it gives them that nice tingly feeling. It's not leading to anything. It's just they're exploring. And so you can say something at any age, like, hey, I know that that feels really nice. Um, that's something that's totally fine to do when you're in the privacy of your room. Let's just put some clothes on while we're here. So it's not that bad. It's not that snorty. You're acknowledging it feels good. You're kind of redirecting the behavior somewhere else. You're not saying you're not allowed to do that in front of us, but let's just put our clothes on now. So it's you're, you're being very, very calm, chill, relaxed about it all the time. Um, and those conversations increase as you do more body anatomy stuff with them. So even this this morning, for example, I've got a nine year old son, and that was the he saw your book and um, about the cleverest. Mm -hmm. And so he was he picked it up and he said, you know, what's this book about? And this is the journey of being a child in my house is that you're always finding things. <laughs> and so he was like, what's this about? And I said, this is it's a book about the cleverest. And he said, "What's that?" And then I said, "Oh, it's a part of a um, part of usually a woman's body that um, that hasn't been talked about much in the past. People didn't really do a lot of research on it, and they didn't, you know, doctors don't tend to talk about it very much, etc." And he was like, "Oh, what is it?" And I said, "Oh, I'm hundred percent happy to talk about that with you, just when you're a touch older." And so I don't feel the need to answer all the questions. Yeah. But I also am happy to give them enough information for them to feel like I'm comfortable with any question. So I said, this is a book that's made for kids that are a little bit older than you. So you can read every bit of it when you're a bit older and I'll answer any questions you have about it then. Mm. So it's like, we don't have to completely avoid the subject, but we also don't have to dive in there before we think that they're ready. Um, yeah, it's, you know, there's a, there's a, it's a dance. It's always a dance. And a lot of it is, like you said before, learning yourself prior and getting a sense of what you do and don't want to say. 
and that will be different for each child. The way that I would answer one of my kids' questions is totally different to the way that I would answer another one. Mm. And so it's it's getting enough skills in yourself, getting enough knowledge in yourself that you can make those informed decisions. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've heard a lot of people's when when kids are asking questions, there's a, a tendency to, you know, do a deep dive and answer a lot more questions than perhaps they were yeah. for as well. So um, you know, it's sometimes the case you answer their one question and they're like, cool. Right. Yeah. Totally. That's what I call um that's what I call brevity over breadth. So they ask you a question, you just answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) And then and then see if they have any more. (laughs) There comes an age where or there are certain personalities where you have to be more intentional than that. So I one of my kids, I've got three boys, one of them is not inquisitive. Like he does not ask questions about really anything. He does not a big talker. And so he's got a lot going on in his mind, I know, but he doesn't bring that out into the community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have to be more intentional with him as opposed to my, one of my, my oldest boy who's got a million questions since he was born about everything. Yeah. And so it, it's just such a different approach and you have to tailor what you're doing to each child. If I went for brevity over breadth, if I went for short answers over long answers with my non-talking child, <laughs> he would not know anything until he was sexually active because <laughs> he's not going to explore questions with me. He's not going to ask stuff. So I have to take charge there. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, I I guess, yeah, f- formulas in within, a, within this sort of framework, so I guess... Are, are so dependent on the child's personality and, and what they're you know what they're up for um and the age the ages as well so let's get to the the pornography thing mm. um i say i mean i say let's start there but i mean i guess you um highlighted in your in your ted talk that actually it's you know it's maybe a, a technology access thing is like the first uh sort of i guess worrisome point that you might sort of come across in this sort of evolution or as as the child grows up is that is that right you yeah yeah i think um you know people think about porn and they go okay my kid won't be able to access that for ages or isn't on a web browser or whatever it is so they won't be any risk there for a long time but actually there's a lot of sexual content that sits on your netflix app that if it doesn't have a pin code too, they can access any time they want. So it's thinking a bit broader and going, okay, sexual content, where does sexual content exist in our house? And how do I make sure that I put some barriers there for their safety and so that they can organically grow up without any kind of sexual script being imposed upon them too early? And then, obviously, as they get more curious and more interested, you want to think about porn specifically. Um, but there's just so much that they can see on YouTube. Like, I'm not a huge fan of YouTube kids. I'm not a huge fan of YouTube in general. Um, and so uh, there's lots on Netflix. There's lots on Neon. There's lots on TVNZ. Like, there's all these apps that our kids just can jump onto basically at any time once they learn how to work a remote. 
and we don't need to think about that. So if we can put just some fences around that, just like we would if they were playing outside in the front yard, you know, like, hey, where do we need to create some barriers for them to keep them safe? It's just the same with technology. Um, And think through that from quite an early age. And then as they grow older, the conversations get deeper and wider. The barriers might get come down or go up. Yeah. It's interesting, though, because, I mean, um, and I'm not really equating, you know, sexualized or problematic content or porn or any of the uh, the horrors that go with that but i suppose children's awareness of you know even erotic content or or you know certain certain things or certain themes that are that are in those more main mainstream places i mean i guess uh what what you offer with the the parent consulting is ways to um you know help them understand stuff i mean yeah. i suppose you know for since the ancient greeks were painting you know orgy scenes on their vases kids have probably yeah. been looking at them kind of going what on earth's going on there you know <laughs> um, but yeah i guess yeah having having that having the skill set so you know if they do see something that they've got a, a question about or or yeah whatever you can you can help them um get get through that um yeah so you want to start that at about four so you start you you don't have to call it any particular name um you don't really have to even use the word porn or sex for a long time but you say for example if they're starting to play with other kids maybe without your presence usually that starts around four um, and they're getting a little bit more device use, then you can say, you know, if you ever come across photos, pictures, videos of people who don't have any clothes on, or if they're touching another person, then just tell me straight away, you're not never going to be in trouble. You know, kids can know that there's content that's not um, made for them and that they need to talk about before they know the word porn or sex for a long time. Yeah. So you start that conversation quite early. It's interesting. I think, you know, our four-year-old son was pointing out boobies on um, some of the Marvel Avengers um, oh, yeah. things, you know, because they're all very, you know, skinny and boobies. Yeah. There's and a lot happening there. There's a kind of yeah. lot happening. And then, so he, he was pointing them out. He's like, oh, boobies, 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 boobies. I was like, okay, you know. Um and that that I suppose was just like yeah one one example of of maybe content that's not aimed at a four year old but at the same time he's keen on Thor you know and and various other things so it's right you know it's and it's very accessible like you said it's it's on yeah some kids and, and various or on you know Disney Plus or whatever. yeah yeah that's interesting but in terms of the when it comes when it comes to teenagers and I, I say teenagers maybe not when it comes to to kids that have been exposed to porn what are some of the um the guide guiding principles of those kind of conversations that you should be having i mean i think we're all, mm. we're all probably aware of the the kind of outcomes that can come from pornography so you know um and not particularly realistic expectations of body image or 
what you're going to get up to pleasure those those sorts of things but i mean in terms of articulating articulating that to i mean when what a, a 11 12 13 year old what are mm. some of the tips for that really yeah so um i'll get to that i want to jump back to your avengers thing for a second okay. yes please. so i think this is a really great example of how you weave in messaging so in so many little micro moments that they don't even re realize it's happening so for example in that situation i'd probably jump in and i'd go oh yes they are boobies did you know that like people have lots of different shaped bodies what we can see here is we can see a lot of very little bodies with some big boobies and that's not actually most people's bodies and yeah. i would use that as a little you know what we call being media literate or like being critical of media so unpacking those little tiny moments with them and so that they can the next time they see that image or they see other images of lots of skinny women with big boobs and tight clothes they've just got like just a couple of thoughts there yeah yeah and it helps you know on so many levels to start that very very early just those tiny moments make quite a big difference so just using all those moments as you can as a parent. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the porn stuff, so yeah, there's lots of different impacts on young people. Um, some young people are impacted more than others, usually based on how much content they've seen, when they started watching, uh, how realistic they perceive what they see is. So if they think, oh yeah, that's like real life sex, people are having like a really good time there. Or if they think this looks like faking and like this looks like somebody's acting this out, they're less likely to adopt the message. So um, not all young people or children are passive sponges. <laughs> you know, like, they all have different levels of critical thinking and resilience to messaging. Yeah. But what you want to do is basically, if you if you know of a young person in your life who's come across porn and you're in a relationship with them, that um, where you can talk about that with them, then I really encourage you to do so because they basically have no one who talks about it with them. Uh, they have said in every piece of research that they want adults to talk about porn more. And adults consistently say, oh, but we do. And young people consistently say, no, but you don't. <laughs> so um, we're not really offering them the opportunities to unpack the stuff that they're, that they're watching. So you want to do what I talked about in my, in my TED Talk, which is what I call heart, head and hands. So first, like address how they felt about the content not jump in there with what you think about what they saw but what was going on for them when they saw whatever it was that they did so my son recently came across some really explicit sexual content that was written and drawn in a cartoon kind of form not in a in a video and so I don't jump straight in with like so here are some of the issues with what you saw yeah. <laughs> even though I would love to do that straight away I ask like what did you think what did you feel? What were you wondering? What were your questions? Their experience is way more important than our lecture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some some young people feel grossed out, like it makes them feel sick. Others they feel really curious. Others think it's funny. Others feel awkward. And then, and for some young people who've experienced trauma, it's triggering. Mm. So you can see how it'd be more important for us to unpack the feeling than to go straight into some big chat about it. Yeah. And then what you want to do is talk about what they've seen. So 
I would try and learn about the specific content that they've watched or have been been watching. If they don't feel comfortable disclosing that to you, that's okay. But you can know that a lot of mainstream porn is really aggressive and really aggressive towards women. So you could have a pretty good guess that they've seen something that's really confronting and that probably doesn't align with some of your values around respect or um, equality or feminism or whatever. So you can make some assumptions there that they've seen something that's like, you know, pretty gritty. And you want to unpack that. So you say something, you ask questions like, um, did you see anything where someone was hurting another person? Did you see anything where it looked like someone was in pain? How did you feel? What did you think? Do you think that's what real sex would be like? Obviously, if you haven't talked about sex yet, you're going <laughs> to. Um, and this is, you know, the time has come. Yeah. But then you're giving some messages. You know, it's really important that when you have sex with someone, it's really respectful, it's really kind, that there's consent, that no one feels hurt, everyone feels safe, that it's pleasurable. So you're weaving in some good pleasure messages there. Um, and then you go to hands, which is like, what are we going to do from here? Make a week plan about technology, porn, different types of sexual content they might come across, you mm. know, remind them they can talk to you, you're a safe person, etc. So there's a there's a bit of a formula there, but it's going to be based on how they what they saw and how they experienced it. That's what you want to take as your starting point. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. And I mean, in terms of in terms of the research you mentioned, you did. I mean, did you delve into that the outcomes of of sort of porn exposure? Yeah, in young people, yeah, what, yeah. What sort of the main the main takeaways really was it. Yeah, so we can't draw like causative links. We can't say, oh, you know, someone who watched porn, it meant because they watched it, it ended in this, like X equals Y. But there are, in lots and like so, 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 so much research now, there are what we call associations. So with higher use, this seems to happen. And there's lots of different influences on a young person's life um, that could create that behavior. But we do know that porn is a significant one of those influences. So some examples of impacts are um, increased uh, gender stereotypes, so that men should be powerful and control, dominating, women should be passive, submissive. Sex is for men and not for women. Uh, And then we also see high associations with uh, risky sexual behaviours, so less likely to use condoms and sex, more likely to... um, to do behaviours that might physically hurt someone, not think through the consequences, yeah. uh, less likely to ask for consent, seek consent, think that it's okay for someone to be hurt. So kind of an acceptance of sexual aggression. Yeah. And then we've got some mental health outcomes like uh, preoccupation, for example, is like where somebody's sitting in school and they're supposed to be like focusing on their English work and instead they're thinking about the porn that they watched last night or that they're going to watch the, the night ahead. Yeah. Issues with sleep, that might be because of nightmares or might be because they're watching porn right before they go to sleep and it creates some insomnia. Um, and then real t- real world kind of uh, issue, uh, impact on their sex life, like not feeling pleasure as much, needing porn to get aroused or stay aroused. Um having more kind of discrepancy 
in terms of who's having a good time in a sexual relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, acting out what they what they've seen or, yeah. or themes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So some young people are more likely to act out what they've seen than others. Um, a couple of vulnerable groups are our rainbow young people and our neurodiverse okay. young people. Um, those with long-term kind of chronic health issues, etc. They tend to be more likely to uh, to watch porn, and adopt the sexual script, and try it out in real life. Okay. So essentially, give stuff a go. Um, based on what they've seen, which can end in a myriad of ways. But it's yep. a, so it's like really, really important we talk about porn with those groups even more so than our, all of our mainstream young people. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm 42 and I remember um, when I was growing up, porn was in um like obviously it was not accessible at all you know none <laughs> none of my friend group you know if you found some in the bushes uh you know you were like score <laughs> yeah totally uh, you know, it was all all printed and and what have you probably handed down from the 70s um yeah it was so interesting i and i don't really and i i could be wrong but i don't remember it having the uh sort of cultural impact or or even an impact on what i thought sex was or how um it would go um porn seemed just like oh that's that over there and then mm. you know me and my stupid teenage mates thought sex would be you know this but there was there was no real correlation between you know what we'd what we'd seen in in porn and what we yeah. thought sex was really um and i think that's probably from you know hearing all the the sort of more current conversations about it it feels like that's flipped people look yeah for porn look at porn for help it's education uh, and and their sex education on you know how yeah. do i how do i know how does she know when he's finished? Well, it's you know normally when you get a face full of <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, it, yeah, it seems um, yeah, much. and that's and, and and that's because of its ease of access. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to know how to give someone a hand job, you can just look it up on a website as opposed to figuring that out yourself yeah. or asking someone. So. It's just so accessible that it's become the dictionary for sex. Yeah. And one of the fastest growing trends on Pornhub last year in 2021 was how-to searches. Right. So how to do this and how to do that and how to do X, Y, Z. And there are more and more young people self-disclosing themselves as well that they are watching porn to know how to do things. So I don't, I mean, I feel so much empathy for them in that. Like I understand wanting to know answers to your questions. That's absolutely valid and okay to want to know how to do things and want to know how to have pleasure in sex and how to have a good time and how to please your other, your partner or whatever it is. It's just a shame that the mainstream porn that they're accessing to get the answers 
has got so many flaws. Yeah. That. Yeah, that's really interesting because um I guess as sort of stuff snowballs too, the the sort of stuff which they're maybe going to be searching, the how-tos are slightly more well, probably more extreme than you know would have ever crossed our minds yeah it's not just how to how to give a hand job but how do i do the reverse cowgirl or <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah that's really interesting um briefly then so that just to touch on again it might not be a brief conversation maybe we should save it for the next one but the light project the organization that yep. you're um give us a brief a brief rundown on on that because that sounds <laughs> fantastic yeah as well. yeah so the light project was established five years ago and it targets a number of groups professionals who work with young people and um, so that might be schools police social workers counselors um families and whanau and then young people themselves we have a really phenomenal youth site called inthenow.co.nz and that targets lots of different types of sexual um you know sexual slash technology device use query okay so that's about porn that's about news that's about being asked to create and sell sexual content being worried about your own sexual performance related to porn use thinking you might be addicted like all the stuff yeah. and it's really good as well are they am Say I, that again? dating apps do they the teen the teens use dating apps or no not at a younger age, but we've got um, we've got uh, some content on there as well on in the know about you know how to pick up red flags if you've met someone online because lots of young people are meeting people online less so on an app. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um, that's a really really great, and it's been inputted in by you know dozens and dozens of health professionals and youth professionals. It's really good, and then the Light Project is focused on adults the like project website adults and professionals mostly and that's specific to porn and how to have those conversations you know how do you do this well in your school uh if you're a parent of a child versus a parent of a tween versus a parent of a teen yeah. all different categories uh how do we answer questions and what are the right questions to bring up so we do training um nationally and internationally uh with all of the various professional groups and uh with what I would call strongly research based as well, which is means you can really rely on the content. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Hey, that's so cool. Um, wow, it's been excellent talking and um we better wrap this up. But um thank you so much for your time and expertise. It's been it's been great. And um people can obviously they can find your TED talk. Um they that was a Christchurch, was it? Yeah. 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 Um your website is joerobinson.org and it's sex therapist joe on instagram yep. yep that's right anything else do do we uh do we find no you? there's way too many there's too many oh, things already <laughs> okay and so yeah in terms of the sex therapy and any of the other services and the workshops and stuff like that that's all accessible online like this or um in person yeah yeah so that's yeah. really cool I should, um yeah recommend people go and check that out um awesome thank you so much and um yeah 
when you come back, we'll we'll talk about uh, betrayal trauma and um, <laughs> and talk about, talk, about our, talk about if you ever got to the uh, if you ever talked to your kids about our clitoris book um, and what they thought of it. Yes, <laughs> a review yeah. from a nine year old. <laughs> I know on the clitoris yeah. book. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right, thank you so much. You're welcome. See you. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, joining us for that one. Um, like I said, really, really enjoyed talking to Joe. Can't wait to get her back on again. Please, please, please do remember to check out sexandspace.com forward slash book for uh, information on where you can purchase our exciting, new, uh, informative, and easy to read little book about the clitoris, the organ education forgot. Um, yeah, would absolutely love it if you would check that out out um also yeah remember the follows the likes all the love that uh you can send our way should you so desire uh through the socials sexandspace.com or one word sexandspace d-o-t-c-o-m and toshi she's not here right now but she's doing some uh phenomenal work on on the tiktok and instagram space um really yeah putting out some some awesome content you get to see her lovely face so yeah check that out go and support what she's up to over there um yeah thanks and uh yeah stand by guys uh exciting times ahead and um see you on the next one bye